What does people plus food service plus conversation equal? The Food Service for Thought podcast. Produced by Forbes, Heaver, and Wallace and hosted by Carrie Clements and Justin Oliveras, the bi-monthly podcast connects the food service industry through in-depth conversations with chefs, restaurant equipment suppliers, food service establishment owners, and so many others that make up our wonderful industry. If you like food, people, and great conversation, we think you will enjoy the Food Service for Thought podcast. Carrie, we are here with Salo Cooper. We're going to get right into our amuse-bouche questions. First question, Salo, what is the dish you most often cook for the people you love? Oh, yeah, tacos. Yeah, I don't know if that's a dish, but tacos is where it's at. It, it, I would cons- the lifestyle. Yes, yeah. I, would, I would say that tacos is the Ginsu knife of dishes. You can go in any direction, multiple, <laughs> different levels, textures. If there was one cuisine that you could, or not even cuisine, but, you know, type of food, you could survive off of tacos and never be bored. So if I love you, you're getting some version of tacos. Well, I think I might know the answer. If you were a food, what would you be? I'd be a taco. How many? I would be so complex. You could throw some pickled onions on me. You'd be like, oh, Salo, I didn't expect that today. <laughs> you know, you can throw some guacamole. You can put some carbonized, caramelized onions on me. You know what I'm saying? Okay, the final amuse-bouche question. I think we know the answer to this, too. What is your go-to food when you are sad or mad or just not having a great day? I would say tacos, but I'm going to be honest with you. There's something about fried chicken. I'll just be honest with you. I just kind of like the crunch and the dance and kind of, you know, it's a, you're not supposed to be eating it, but you don't care. <laughs> if you're down already, you're not trying to think of like, oh, let's keep it light. You know, I don't want to weigh myself down. When you're down, you're like, I hope this food puts me to sleep. And fried chicken, <laughs> puts you know what I'm saying? Because you're trying to escape, right? You're having a bad day. I'll eat some fried chicken, some mashed potatoes. That's it. I know I'm taking a nap. Yeah, that's, that's right. And Salo knows this, but carry a little pro tip for you in the future. If you do get some fried chicken, you pick it up from somewhere, you're going to take it home to eat. You got to get that extra uh, piece of chicken for the drive home. So you got oh, a really? piece of chicken in your hand, driving home, and then you still got your full meal when you get home. But this is just a little amuse-bouche to get you going, right? That's where it is. That's what the leg was made for. Right. <laughs> That'd be the leg. So um, we we got to meet you because of um, Eric McPherson and Chad Stam with TMC. We listened to their podcast. We enjoyed their podcast, and you know what? It made us think about making a difference in the community that we live in and work in. And so we wanted to interview you as well. If we're going to explore all areas of the food service industry and connect people, it seemed most important to connect with you and hear about Jails to Jobs and how you came to be there. You know, what, what, 
has been your journey to this point and how it's all wrapped up with jails to jobs. And so I guess the question is, is can you talk about jails to jobs and, and how you got there? It was actually started off with the community that we belong to, and that's the culinary restaurant world, you know, from front of the house to the back of house, to dishwash to all that, um, was the love that I got, you know, as a felon coming out of prison, looking for a way to kind of change my direction and do something different. Um, I, I started cooking. I had a little bit of waiting tables experience, and I, and I loved the culture. And so I decided to go back of the house and I started cooking and my ability to grow and have the support of people. That was kind of one of the places, the back of the house, just the whole restaurant where people didn't judge me. They knew I had a felony and they were willing to give me a chance based on what I brought to the table and even teach me something. And so the culture that the restaurant has, I don't know, I th I, it's a culture that the rest of the world doesn't have. It was very supportive. And it wasn't until our first podcast, and I know that uh, that you guys made me reflect. You, Justin, you, you said some very amazing, you asked me some very quest, uh, amazing questions that nobody's really asked me, and it got me into thinking. And so, you know, as I sit here before you guys today, I was able to grow within that environment. And that environment is mostly accepting, whether you're Black, you're Chinese, white, whether you're you know, straight, whether you're, you know, gay, whatever it is, they don't care. They're like, let's accomplish a goal, let's something. I had never known that. And so I grew in that environment and that acceptance. And it was the first time that I had gotten accepted. And usually it was like, oh, you're a felon, you're you're African American. Those were strikes against me, but in the in the in the kitchen, it wasn't. And so as I grew and I started to get my legs, I started to get um some confidence. When people, you know, making one plate and they're like, oh, this is amazing. Oh, wow, this chicken's perfectly cooked. I continued to grow. And then I was like, wow, you know, these people believe me. This chef believes in me. Good job, Solo. Good job. Wow, your ticket times are low. And I kept growing. And in that, my ceiling was being pushed up. Like when there was like a, a lead line, I could be a lead line. Wow, I can make an extra dollar. I just got to work harder. Oh, I could be a sous chef and just the ability to grow. And people were willing to teach me a chef named Mazelle Salcedo, who was instrumental. He saw that I was hungry. He said, I teach chefs all the time. I said, hey, I want to go to school. He's like, you don't have to. You have the one thing that all these other people don't have. You're hungry. And because of that, I'm going to teach you. And this was at the West End. And he took me under his wing. And he showed me, despite my felony, despite everything I had been through, he said, I'm going to teach you. And it's within that community that I found the love and acceptance. And I was able to change my course, my, my plight in life, if you will, my trajectory. Because, you know, I was sexually abused, you know, uh, from my stepdad and my, my first dad. You know, the first scar I have on my eye is from my dad, you know, who threw me against a you know a bathtub because I'm protecting my mom because he's whooping her. You know, he he was. You know, I came from that life and I was homeless at 13 and banging and all that. And so my trajectory, you know, according to the books, my life was already plotted out. I was just a statistic at that point. And then I got into the kitchen and they gave me that love. And so then one day I was doing my work and I was like, how do I get back? How do I give back? 
you know, I had I was already a, a youth minister dealing with the youth. I knew there was something there. And I started working for jail jobs, doing chaplaincy work. So I go into the jails and I talk to these juveniles that have no hope. And I said, hey, you know, come out and, you know, teach them about God, but not a God that's religious, not a God that causes you to judge someone, not a God that causes you to hate someone, not a God that says that, hey, you have to be perfect, but a God that says, hey, I love you right where you're at. And I want to give you something better. And that's different between relationship and religion. And so we offer the relationship and I'm behind that. And so then naturally I said, what else can I do? And I, I, at that time I was doing contract work, opening mom and pops and helping them with their order guides and dining room set up and just kind of, you know, finding work that way. And then it just dawned on me and it was through prayer because I thought my culinary life was going to end in order for me to be able to enter into the life of giving back. You know, and I was like, I have all this experience and skill. I guess it was for not. And then it was just an epiphany for me. It was an, a prayer that says, you just don't believe me that I can take it to the next side. And what road have you been? How have I raised you up? What love did I give you? Well, through my knife, through working, give it back to them. And so that's how the culinary program started at Jail to Jobs. And, you know, the founder said, culinary program this is a nonprofit. you know we don't this that don't match this doesn't go hand in hand that's why nobody else has done it there's there's shades and shadows but not what we're. and so that started off that journey and now it's amazing you know we have right at this point as i'm talking to you and i know i talked to you two months ago we had four students we have 21 right now you know, it's the timing of COVID and people awesome. looking for hope and wanting something different. And you know what's crazy? And I and I hate to say this, it's embarrassing. You know, when I was growing up, I was 15, 16. I had a lot of trauma, 17. You know, I thought I was like the best thing since sliced bread. And I, I had a, you know, the first woman to break my heart was my mom. First woman. And I spent my lifetime getting over that hurt and rejection of being kicked out at 13 because she wanted to be with her boyfriend and her other boyfriend molesting us and constantly. And I ended up being a womanizer to my embarrassment. And what's crazy is I learned from that. I'm embarrassed. What's crazy is that 90% of my students are young girls and I get to breathe life into them and I get to show them what it is to be loved and a real man, a positive role model. And it's all my experience that I've gone through. I'm able to say, you don't need someone like that. You can get someone better because I know what games and lies and manipulation was because that was me. But I'm in a better, I'm in, I'm a completely different man. And to take that and to breathe it and touch these young girls' lives, it's just, it's been amazing. And to have all these students who come up to me and say, you look, you're like my dad. You're like a dad I don't have. And just to do this one, one plate at a time and already have 10 job placements last month into the restaurant industry and to see my kids flourishing and smiling and the chefs calling me and saying, hey, this kid, they love the food. I mean, it's, it's just amazing. Well, one, we're happy to hear that there are restaurants hiring. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> Um, but, but, and right now to give that kind of opportunity to somebody, 
I listened to a um, I, I listened to a speaker the other day. Her name is Michelle Kim, and um, she does uh, diversity training. Her company name is Awaken, and she said that if we want to practice diversity, equity, and inclusion in our companies and our organizations, then somebody has to be willing to take a chance and to make a sacrifice for somebody else even you know no matter the cost to their career or what have you those are the kinds of sacrifices that it takes to lift up people to truly lift up people and and the fact that you found spots for 10 people right now is really hopeful i mean it's really encouraging that somebody's doing that. that i love that they're women because for the yeah. most part kitchen is a male dominated area uh, chefs, men, common area, but I'm teaching these young ladies to know what it is to lead and just be hungry. And so, you know, I love that it's changing. You know, I love that um, it, most of my students are minorities. I would say 99.9% .9 of them. And so I love that I'm sending them in there to break stigmas, molds, past perceptions and create a new restaurant industry. I mean, I think we're all working towards that as a whole and as a society, but the restaurant industry, that to me, I know the medical field has stuff, but going out to eat and what we do to make create moments for people, that food that we're over there creating, that drink that the bartender makes, that smile, whether it's fake or genuine that the waitress does and the pleasantry of the hostess, we're creating moments for people, moments in a time right now that's dark. And you know, yeah. that, that that's that's a big deal. That's a really big deal. And so sending people in and they're gonna make that same, have that same effect and live that overall culture. I couldn't be more proud. It is fun to hear that in your voice. And, and it's fun to talk to people in food service. Everybody that we've talked to so had a passion about an aspect of their job, but and and we all we all play a role in feeding the public, you know. I mean, those moments wouldn't happen without people like all of us. But for you, like jails to job, um, and and how are you guys? How are you guys doing? Uh, filling in the gaps in the culinary program for what? It, what are you doing at jails to jobs to take the kid that you meet? that's in the in the correction system right now what do you do at jails to jobs if you could like quickly tell us what that from from you know when they get out and you take them under your wing to you got a job placement for them i don't come from jail but a lot of it's word of mouth now we've been actively growing at a rapid pace in the last three years more than we have before so we're getting a lot of people that say hey jail to jobs they help me turn my life around. See, a lot of these people are brothers and sisters in front of the block. So we get all those people, collection from jail, some from judges, some from lawyers, uh, DAs, they send them to our program. Once they're there, we assess where they're at, whether it's a high trauma, all of our kids are the worst of the worst, where other people don't want them. There's some mental issues, there's drug addictions, homelessness is the number one thing that we wrestle with. It, it's so hard 
to give someone a job and knowing that they're going to go sleep under a bridge or in a tent or somewhere like that. But to see them still come back to work five days a week is like, wow. Right. And so once we do that, we minister to them. And what do we, we mentor to them? We give them the coping skills that they're going to need to be in a job. We have hiring partners. We have construction hiring partners, culinary, woodworking, landscaping. All these people already know the type of kids that they are, and they're willing to give them a chance. But they have to graduate our program first. Sometimes that graduation happens within three or four weeks. Sometimes it happens in six months. Sometimes it's a year. It depending on where the kid is. But what we don't do is if you're 15 minutes late, 20 minutes late, oh, well, you're fired, this can't move forward. We don't do that. When you're 15 minutes late in a row and next week you're only five minutes late, three days in a row, we celebrate that win. Because we're here to develop you. We're here to walk out life with you and like nobody ever has, like the mother you didn't have, like the father you didn't have, like the grandparents you didn't have, or the brother and sister. We're going to be that. And the culinary program, which is a lot different than the others, because some of those construction kids got to get out there and hit the shovel and break down walls and do hard labor. In our kitchen, the walls are broken down one plate at a time. So we have a lot of graduating kids because of the, 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 it's faster. There's, there's an artistic impression that they get to pour out. And so once we graduate them, we move them on to our hiring partners. And then they kind of just take off after that. Um, they become young adults and they become productive citizens in society. At Jelda Jobs, the national, the Texas rate for recidivism is 10%. Our program is 19%. We do 300% better than the state does. And we have these kids go on and they change not just their lives, but their family lives. And so for us, that's kind of, in a nutshell, how the program works. One, you have to have been incarcerated or been in trouble with the law. This is this program's not for kids that are dealing with behavior problems or, you know, I don't like my mom and dad. We, we have people that fostered out, that are homeless, that have been un unadopted, uh, sex slave uh, trade. These are the people, the worst of the worst. This is who we deal with. You know, I, I know I'm sitting here talking to you how I am right now. It's, I sound like I, I'm articulate. I have an education that couldn't be further from the truth. I just learned and put the work in. And so I was that kid. I went to prison for a violent offense and I'm not proud of it. And I was in a gangbang. I've been shot. I've shot in people. My brother was shot. I mean, that was our life. But as I'm saying to society and anybody who's listening, we are worth the investment in love. As I said, I'm in a $350,000, $400,000 neighborhood. And my neighbors, I take care of them. I mow my neighbor's lawn. I took him toilet paper during COVID. I watch for my neighbors across the street. Now, none of them probably know my, my, my rap sheet, but if they did, I don't know if they would accept me. And that's sad. And we need to change the society because there's no matter what I do, I'm a chaplain, I'm a pastor, I work on a nonprofit. None of that counts to our society right now. And as I shared before, you know, I was kicked out of my apartment that I lived in for five years. And, you know, as soon as they got took over by a new owner, I'm talking to affluent, I'm paying $1,800 a month. And, you know, in Austin, that's a big deal. Um, they kicked me out for no other reason. One thing I did want to make sure to get your perspective on and help educate 
us is for anybody that isn't familiar with with your program, with your nonprofit, with how the process works, or maybe is looks at it with you know like like you said, like oh those those people are incarcerated. I don't want to go over there. I don't want to you know get involved with that. What can you offer for someone that maybe wants to help but doesn't know how or doesn't know where to start or doesn't know how to, maybe they're nervous, maybe they're uncomfortable, maybe they just don't know what to do, maybe they feel embarrassed. How can people help become, help support uh, nonprofits like yourself and have a different shift in perspective to allow to be more em- embraceive, like you were talking about a lot of those other companies that you found placement for with, with a lot of your people in your program? Right. Um, the best way is to, you know, for us directly is to look at jailtojobs.com online. It shows multiple ways to partner with us through the culinary, through donations. We seek volunteers. And this is the one message we want to get out to those people who are looking to be part of the change. You don't have to walk the life on the dark side and gone to jail. Everybody has a spark to offer. And what's the biggest spark for us? See, we connect with our kids because we've been there. But what they love to see is they love to see Caucasian people African-American people, Mexican people have done well with their lives, care about them. When they see people that come over there that dress nice and look nice, they're like, wow, what am I involved in? This is amazing to see people different from what they've seen and what, you know, their lifestyle. It is for them that they have the brightest smile. Like, you know, I can overcome all things now because look who's on my team. And sometimes it's just people showing up in Mercedes and BMWs and they're just like, wow, people like that would love me. See, because there's this notion that I'm just a criminal. I'm nothing. But when we have those people who are affluent business owners, who are community leaders and they may be well to do, the spark that they have is even bigger than what we give them. We connect with them on a relationship level, but we don't push their ceiling up. It's the community who does, that has lived right, that has done well. They are the people. So if you do want to get connected, and if you want to donate, that's great. If you want to buy one of the culinary meals, those meals go back and we pour into them, and it helps change their life. But if you want to volunteer and come and connect with a boy or a girl, and you've done well in your life, your spark may be even greater than the spark that we give them. Because your spark is a spark of a future and you push their ceiling up and you let them know where they can be. And so that's very important. I want people to know because some people are like, well, I ain't got no thug in me and I ain't never been to jail. What am I going to talk about? Don't talk about that. Talk about the goodness. Talk about what it can be. Where have you been? And those things. Because they're, all the kids at Jail to Jobs are hungry for that. That's why they're there. They want something different. And so that's kind of the biggest message. You know, look us up, jailtojobs.com. Look up other nonprofits that are not just programming, but that are relational, that are walking out life with people and not putting them in, in, in boxes and they have to check these lists. That's the old system. That's how we did it before. There's a new system that's about relation and walking out life with people and meeting them where they're at in their addiction and their trauma and their life challenges. And that's the difference. And if there's programs like that in your city, partner with them and don't be scared if you don't have the thug street woo woo woo, because you have a spark. 
that they need also. That's great perspective. I, I, Thank you. I think we have this picture of our lives and, you know, we're surrounded by the people who look like us and do the things that we do and that's our reality. And so anybody that doesn't do that must have done something horribly wrong and deserve what they've got. You know, this idea of a person being the crime they did is so damaging and, and it just keeps the it keeps the judgments, it keeps the apartment managers from not re-upping leases, it keeps people from saying no to interviewing. And and at the core we're 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 all there's so much more similarities from me to you than there are differences. You know? Right. But, you um, know, we also but, have to be honest too. It keeps people from having to get involved. It keeps the gap. It, it, I'm sure just in our humanity and in our senses, we know that there are people greater than the crimes that they commit. There's extenuating circumstances. But for us to research that and to look into that means that that gap is shortened. And some people don't want that gap shortened because they want to go yeah. about their lives. We're very self-seeking and we're in a time where that, that's me too is kind of the banner. And unfortunately, we got to shake ourselves loose from that. And hopefully this COVID has been horrible, horrible. But hopefully as a nation, it's taught us about the things that count. And that's stopping paying attention with whether it be with our family, but with our neighbors. We need to stop being uh, me too. We need to start being them too and focusing more on people around us. Because when it's all said and done, life is about giving back. So tell us a little bit before we go, what is your new kitchen and what, like, what are the goals for it? What, how did it come about? What, tell us about yeah, that. Cause that's super uh, exciting. Yeah. We're working towards, you know, for all you Austinite people, um, you can come visit us at 309 Powell Lane. Uh, if you want to see what the program looks like, other than that, you can go on our Facebook page and order weekly meals. And when you pick them up, you will see the kids in action. Now, our hopes are now that we do have a kitchen with workable equipment is to continue to do these one-time weekly meals, but also do our lunchtime catering. We're doing a lot of wed weddings in November. We're actually doing an anniversary for a couple of 15 people and their family, for their grandparents, a 12-course dinner. So we do very high-end yeah. um, to uh, weddings. We do office parties, uh, team meetings. We do all those things. But the future for Jell to Jobs is we will have a restaurant and we'll be inviting local chefs within our community to come teach our kids, do a pop-up for two days with different cuisines and have the kids run the front of the house and the back of the house. And so you'll be able to come for a pop-up Jell to Jobs restaurant and uh, we invite all of our local chefs. And I'm, this is a shout out to my Austin chefs. Come into Jell to Jobs. If you have six hours of your time and you want to donate to the kids, we'll pay for the food and you just show them a different cuisine or a different technique. And we want to open this up to the community. So now we're headed. Big thanks for Jell to Jobs. That is awesome. That's, that is so crazy. That is crazy. I love that. Thank you for listening to the Food Service for Thought podcast. We hope you enjoyed it. And a big shout out to Forbes, Heaver, and Wallace and everyone on the team for producing the first ever food service rep-driven podcast. Please subscribe, rate, and review. Oh, 
and go eat out at your local restaurant or grab some takeout or delivery, even if you are just in the mood for some apps or dessert. Every bite helps.